0: All we are points to you, Jesus. And where that has not been the case this week, your grace comes alongside of us to bring us into realignment. And so I pray over my family today, I pray that your, your heart would be like a magnet to ours, that you would draw us uh, and all of who we are to point to you uh, today. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. Ah. Thanks, bud. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Go eat pizza. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Go eat pizza. Ephesians chapter 2. We've been in this series, uh, what is the good news? This is good news. And what we've looked at over the last few weeks is this idea that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus both calls us into relationship with God and answers that question, who am I? But also calls us into responsibility with him. It answers that question, why am I here? That the whole Bible is built on this double helix of DNA, Of relationship and responsibility of why am I here and who am I and last week what we looked at was this question can I have I had a gospel encounter and can I articulate it what I cannot articulate to you today is that I did not receive a whole lot of your stories so I could roll around in them like Scrooge McDuck with money that was a bummer so Please take a minute this week, recite your story, share it with us. I wrote an email to my brothers this week and it's uh, launched some like good text messages back and forth. And um, so just want to invite you to be, if you've had a gospel encounter, to be reciting that and reporting it uh, to someone else. This week, what I want us to think about is how the gospel saves individuals and creates communities. I want us to think about how a gospel encounter personally always calls me into relationship with other people and to taking responsibility for the body of Christ. I want us to think about how the moment that we say yes to Jesus, we are adopted into his spiritual family. And I was thinking this morning about why I feel so passionately about this particular sermon. And here's what I realized. You know, if you think about the more significant moments of your life with Jesus... Certain places may come to mind. A church, maybe a summer camp, uh, a conference, some place that you were. When I look back over my life with Jesus, I realize that my most significant moments of breakthrough have happened in homes. My most significant moments of breakthrough have happened around tables. My My most significant moments of spiritual growth have happened when I was invited into someone's extended spiritual family. And so this morning, I want us to think about what it looks like for us to not only have personal gospel encounters, but to be a gospel-shaped, extended spiritual family. How do you and I take on uh, and step into the the family of Jesus? And to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians 2, but I really actually want us to spend a few moments thinking about history and theology and emperor constantine you know usual sunday morning stuff uh so jesus lives and dies rises again and his life and death and resurrection both forgives our sin by paying its penalty and also cancels the power of sin and death and the devil and so jesus invites us each into relationship and responsibility and what's so interesting is that in the first few weeks after Jesus ascends, as Jesus ends his earthly ministry, begins his heavenly ministry, sitting at the right hand of the Father, as that, a few weeks after that happening, all of these people who have personally put their faith in Jesus begin to gather in communities. And within a few years after the ascension of Jesus, uh, there's these little Jesus communities popping up all over the Holy Land. And within about a decade or a decade and a half after the ascension of Jesus, these Jesus communities can be found in every major city of the Roman Empire and the Mediterranean world. They're multiplying all over the world, and the Apostle Paul plays a significant role in starting those uh, little communities in his extended spiritual family as a man named Peter. Peter will one goes on to one day write a letter to a group of churches in modern day Turkey. That's the letter first Peter. It's what we read while we and studied together uh, while we were all in exile uh, last spring. And uh, in that letter, he uses family language to describe the church. I mean, he talks about the church as obedient children who have God as their father. He calls them not to express just love, but brotherly love he says they are like newborn infants who are being built into a spiritual house twice in first peter he calls them a family of believers paul also uses very similar family language in the new testament uh, in ephesians two nineteen through 22 for example look with me just briefly at ephesians 2 19 through 22 paul says so now you gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners you are citizens along with all of god's holy people this is important you are members of god's family together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is jesus christ himself we are carefully joined together in him to their spiritual family than they had to their biological family You can understand the tension that the early church felt when they knew that their ties were for spiritual family primarily and then biological family. A lot of us say that our priorities are God, then family, then work, right? I think the early church would say our priorities are God, God's family, my family, work. This is a culture that You were primarily part of a group long before you were ever an individual. And the most important group that you were a part of was your family. And now Jesus is saying, your family is defined not by biology, but by spirituality. Your family is defined not by your blood, but by mine. In his really wonderful book, When the Church Was a Family, Joseph Hellerman says... Jesus radically challenged his disciples to disavow primary loyalty to their natural families in order to join the new surrogate family of siblings he was establishing, the family of God. Relationships among God's children were to take priority over blood family ties. Jesus comes from a family to start a family and the spiritual family of Jesus multiplies all over the globe And in that, there is tension. There is tension as believers buck the culture and prioritize their spiritual family group over their biological family group. And by the way, that's a tension that some of you feel. Some of you are the only Christians in your family. Let me change that, because this is the Midwest and everybody thinks they're a Christian. Some of you are the only committed, following Jesus, discipled people in your family. And there is a tension when you say, I can't come to that event because I have to be at this church event. There's tension when you say, can we schedule grandma's birthday party for Thursday night because I have my small group on Wednesday night, right? There's tension for the early church, and that tension multiplies as the Roman government becomes even more hostile to the way of Jesus. And by the end of the first century and into the second century, Christians are kicked out of the economy. They're kicked out of their families. And so if you wonder why the early church operated as a spiritual family, it's because it was a necessity. Their primary group, their family of origin, had kicked them to the curb. And so now, of course, they were living in tight-knit communities of love. It was their only way that they could survive. It was their only way of sustenance. The earliest Christians understood. That the gospel called them, yes, individually into relationship with God and into responsibility to bless the world. But they more deeply understood than we do now that that relationship and that responsibility simply had to be expressed in the context of community. It simply had to be expressed in the context of a spiritual family where everybody has a place and everybody has a role. It would never have occurred to a Christian in the first century to call themselves a Christian, but to have nothing to do with a local church. It's a particularly modern Western phenomenon. The earliest Christians understood that even under great pressure, that they were called into a covenant community, that they were called into covenant partnership where they would take responsibility for their world and for their neighbors. And so the early church was a family that did not just keep to themselves, but when plagues struck, cared for the sick, that plucked babies abandoned in garbage heaps and made them their own at great personal cost that fed the poor, that cared for their neighbors, that welcomed the stranger, that loved one another deeply. When the early church got together, they got together in homes, and their gatherings were called love feasts. So a good question is, what happened to the passion and power and partnership of the early church? What happened to the passion and power and partnership that the early church displayed that caused them to multiply across the world and exist in white hot communities of passionate worship and prayer and with deep bonds of mutual affection and love well if you wanted to blame emperor constantine now would be the time in 325 emperor constantine is converted Some scholars argue that his conversion was about as genuine as the average American who also believes that, say, America appears in the book of Revelation. A believer, flawed, but a believer all the same. Constantine makes Christianity a legal religion in the Roman Empire, even the official religion of the Roman Empire, and suddenly this extended family on mission that was multiplying all over the globe got to have buildings did you know the Christians did not meet in a worship at a dedicated worship space until the early 300s before that they met in the most wealthy person in their community the biggest house that's where they met The minute the Christianity the Christian Christianity became legal within the Roman Empire their buildings were tax free And their priests were tax-exempt. Church leaders, who until that time had just been kind of first among equals, leading the family, suddenly were catapulted into the upper-middle priestly class of the Roman Empire. They had money. And as the gospel of Jesus, as this good news was poured into the vessel of Roman patronage, it weakened this family tie system that instead became about seeing and being seen. It became about power and cultural relevance. And fast forward about 19 or 20 centuries, we've now poured the good news into the vessel of American consumerism, where our ties to our local church are not family ties, not ties of family loyalty, but of brand loyalty. I like that church. I like the things that they do. I like the spiritual products they give me to consume until I don't. And then I switched churches. When you were being persecuted in the first 300 years of Christianity, when you got mad at somebody in your small group, there was no other church to go to. If you're in the church in China or in England or in any post-Christian society, a society that we are rapidly moving toward... Uh, If you get mad, you just have to work it out because there are no other Christians. There are no other churches. There are no other options. And your interest in the church isn't in, I like that music or I don't like that music. I like this. I don't like that. Preference in this scenario goes out the window. And instead, it's about family loyalty, even to the things that we don't understand, even to the things that we don't like. So does that mean the family that Jesus started is no more? Well, no. It's doing really, really well in most places around the globe, except here. And even here uh, in the United States, it's there are embers and there are glimmers. And even here in this room, there are embers and whispers and rumors and quick glimpses of this family that Jesus lived and died to give us. And friends, despite how easy it is to complain about the church. Despite how easy it is to talk about our colonizing tendencies, our homophobic tendencies, our bigoted tendencies, Jesus still loves us. Jesus is still glad to be married to us. Jesus is still glad to be with us. He's still glad to be the Lord of his church. And he's even glad that by His to be by his spirit working in and among us to create a tight-knit, extended spiritual family on mission together. Let me show you uh, on this video what I'm talking about.
1: So, today we'll be talking about how the gospel has been good news in the context of community, and I would say that um, it has been good news because um, Jesus has shown me that I am not alone on this journey, that not only do I have him, but I also have um, brothers and sisters in him that can walk alongside me.
2: In the context of community, I would say that I've learned that no matter what stage you are at the gospel and your understanding of it, there is always someone that has gone before you, and there's always someone that is willing to bring you alongside them, and that's always been really encouraging to me um, because then you can take that experience you have in being mentored and convert that into mentor and discipleship for someone else.
3: Um, I would say um, probably the most definitive um, moment in my life um, was when I was a teenager. I didn't grow up in the church, um, so I didn't know anything <laughs> about the gospel or Jesus. I just remember having this desire to um, to go to church. I didn't really know why, and so uh, I, a friend of mine who I knew was a Christian, um, I just asked her if she would take me to her church Um, and through that process um, I uh, kind of it was one of those never going back moments I started going to church with her um, and then the Lord just um, became so real in my life um, because of the gospel because I didn't because I didn't grow up in the church Um, I didn't realize how much I needed the Lord and how far I was from him. And so um, just having that person in my life to walk me through that process of what is sin, Um, why do I need the Lord, why do I need Jesus, Um, and why why I don't need to be afraid of him, because I kind of just always had this feeling that there's this big God who's just mad um and so she she really made jesus real to me and good oh goodness
1: okay so talking about how spiritual family has been important like this last year um with the craziness of covid um, i especially have really um seen how important family is because being alone um, It's so easy to hear and believe the lies that the enemy tells you. So having family to kind of back you up and come alongside you to remind you that they're just that, they're lies. and That the Father still loves you and he cares for you and you're not alone.
2: I think being in the church for the of the church, all large is still
3: about, you know, well, how did this go? Or, you know, we've been praying for this, how is this? So, um, if a friend or family um, asked me, like,
1: if it really was good news to have spiritual family, um, I would say obviously it is, um, because it's so easy to get off track. Um, and I think that family um, is able to come around you um, to support you to walk with you in um, whatever season you're walking through um, and just kind of help guide you back to Jesus
2: I would say absolutely Um, being part of a community is a very important aspect of of the gospel and it, it lets you grow in faith not only by yourself, but with others, and I think then you are living the gospel as well. And so I would say absolutely, there's only so much you can do on your own, and it's really important to reach out and engage with others in forming your own community and becoming involved with your own community.
3: Yeah, I know it's tempting to, especially if you're introverted, It's I know it's tempting to step away from community when you feel overwhelmed or when you feel anxious or, um, you know, but I have found, because I have gone through that, that when you lean into community in those moments, even when it's scary or uncomfortable to do that, you um, that you realize that there's so much weight that you're holding on to that kind of gets released when you allow somebody else to be a part of that with you and um, in it with you. So I, yeah, if somebody asked me if it was important, I would, um, I would definitely say yes. I would definitely say yes, that it is needed and important and just essential in your walk with God.
0: So I see when I watch that video, I see these like embers. I see like hot coals that I wanted this morning, just like and keep fanning so that not only is there like this white hot spiritual center to our church, but that there's a like white hot flame of like love and tight knit bonds and affections uh together because jesus died to save you but he also died to invite you into his family he died so that you would find a role uh, and that you would find a place among his people we want to be a spiritual family where everybody has a place and everybody has a role and that by the way is relationship and responsibility that everybody has a place relationship that everybody has a role responsibility we want to be a gospel shaped family so how do we do that how do we help people step into their roles well the problem is so this is not a sermon of like three things to do to find more community in your life no Because actually what's happened is, without even being aware of it, you have blinders on that stop you from fully participating in community. Uh, And you're not aware of them because they are culturally normal, right? Uh, Paul would call these spiritual strongholds. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What are strongholds? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul says that spiritual strongholds are thoughts and arguments, and maybe even put simply, patterns of thinking that we are not even aware of. It is a prison. The walls are invisible because because it's just a part of being part of our culture. And so what I want to do today is help, Holy Spirit, help me to remove the blinders to help you see the prison bars and for us to go against the grain of the strongholds that we get in our culture so that you can step into family, so that you can find your way into family, a family where everybody has a place and everybody has a role and spiritual strongholds the reason why they're so devious is because they are just patterns of thinking that we inherit with from our culture without any kind of thought right often it's even things that are celebrated in our culture that then uh, we just kind of keep on and assume it's normal and there's three strongholds this morning that i want to name that stop us from participating in the community and those strongholds are materialism individualism and tribalism tribalism MIT, not the college you go to to get bad at math, but the college you go to to live in isolation, okay? Materialism. Uh, materialism is something that, as far as our culture is concerned, is awesome. This is why we work so hard and have so little margin in our lives, because we are trying to accrue all that which our culture says is good. So we work really... We. We recently had landscaping done, you should drive by now while it still looks good. Um, So I get it done, I'm so excited, it looks so nice. I'm thinking, all right, we got that done, it's over, game on. Wouldn't you know that there's like weeds coming up? This was done like a week ago, okay? And all of a sudden I'm thinking, This takes a time investment. You know what else takes a time investment? Chasing your career and making sure your kids go to all the activities that our culture says they need to go to and making sure you have enough money to get them into the college you want them to get into and doing all of these things. And there's this materialistic hustle that includes our stuff, but also extends to the ways that we kind of try to live into the good life that our culture presents to us. And it leaves us with no margin, no margin except maybe for our biological families. It leaves us with no margin to pursue relationship with people. It leaves us no margin to do that which is important as we chase the materialistic vision of comfort and fun and career. The second stronghold is individualism. As far as our culture is concerned, individualism is awesome. You do you. Speak your truth, right? We live in a Western culture where we perceive ourselves to be individuals way before we ever perceive ourselves to be part of a group. And how that translates into spirituality is more and more and more, spirituality is something you pursue solo, not in community. Now, among older generations, especially grumpy Christians over 40, I don't need church. I will just watch david jeremiah on tv and listen to christian radio and give to an organization but i will not expose myself to other christians right i can read the bible by myself can't i you don't have to be grumpy and over 40 you also can be a theology major at any major christian college right uh i don't need to go to chapel I don't need to go to church. I went to chapel three times this week. I can just read TF Torrance at a coffee shop by myself. Shoot me. Um, But I think the new version of this, like among millennials and Gen Z, is like collecting um, a series of Instagram influencers. Right? Y'all, every single one of your friends, Christian or not, are being discipled right now. Okay? There is nobody that you don't know that isn't a disciple. It's just a lot of our friends are being discipled by various Instagram influencers who think about it. By the way, it's so convenient. You can, like, listen to them tell you all about their world and their life and give you their advice on their their reels and their stories and their podcasts. And I never need to get messy and, like, acknowledge anything to someone face-to-face, Right? And so there's all of this discipleship happening in the world where people are being, like, influenced by, like, Instagram influencers. And they don't need community because they have all of these Christians kind of with their little square images that they can share in their Insta stories and they're good. Right? But underneath that, this des- un- the, the sound of desperate scrolling and tapping is the sound of loneliness. The sound of desperate scrolling and tapping is the sound of the cl- the crushing weight of difficulty that you can't share with others, right? Because I'll tell you what, living in community sucks. Let's be real. I hurt you, you hurt me, you annoy me, I annoy you. I say something I shouldn't, you say something you shouldn't, back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. It would be a lot easier. Um, and even with all the difficulty, life in community is half as hard and twice as good. <laughs> so that's struggle, and then there's the of tribalism, and here's what that looks like. We just don't know how to be around people that we don't understand or disagree with. We don't know how to be a class than us. We don't know how to be around people with a different skin color than us. We just don't know how to do it. And so what we've done in our society is just fracture into tribes. We do this theologically, right? I listen to only this kind of theology or only this kind. And I'm not talking about like non, like outside the bounds of Bible theology. I'm talking about like, let's just decide on inside the bounds of scripture theologies. And we'll just tribalize around those. And by the way, speaking of tribes, the tribe loyalty, if it's not to who you vote for or what channel you watch or what theology you have or what gun you buy or don't buy or Black Lives Matter or they don't or this, that, or the other, the tribe is family first or else. Right? When we were starting Regen way back when, I felt like the biggest problem that we had is that it was grandma's birthday weekend every weekend for everybody. I swear, it felt impossible to get momentum underneath of us because everybody that would come would only be there like once out of every four weeks because the other three weekends were this family party or that family party or this family party or that family party or this family thing or like, I don't know, my nephew stubbed his toe so we're all having dinner together. I don't, you know, and, um, and it's family first. And so we have these strongholds, okay? You've got, um, you've got tribalism, individualism, materialism. How do you, what do you do when you have a stronghold, you have to go at it with a practice that is counter to that way of thinking. You have to learn to think think against the grain of that stronghold, and the way you learn to think against it is to live against it, to do something differently, okay? So I want to kind of name three possible practices, tie them on a bow with one final one, and then we're out of here. So. If the, if the stronghold that you're recognizing is materialism, which is I have no margin in my life for people or for the community of Jesus or for mission or for discipleship because I'm way too busy running my kids everywhere and keeping up with these people and making sure my yard looks perfect. Like there's just no margin in my life anywhere. The practice that goes against that is you start tithing your time and your money. What did he just say? Your time and your money, Right? Here's what we love to do. We love to pick. Oh, I I give a lot of money to the church so I don't need to give my time. I give a lot of my time to the church so I don't need to give a lot of my money, right? But by learning to tithe our time and our money, by giving a portion of our time and our money to God, we're creating margin to bless other people financially and to like have people in our life, right? and really here's the commitment that we make when we tithe either our time or our money when i when i tithe uh money which we do what i am saying is that i believe that god can do more with 90 percent of my income than i can do with 100 right i believe that god can do more with 90 with 90 percent of my income than i can do 100 same with my time I don't, if, we can't have them over tonight because we got to really work on the yard so that we have time to do this, so that we have time to do that, so that we have time to do this. When I tithe my time, I'm saying God can do more with 90% of my time than I can do with 100. I'm saying that when I make myself available financially and with my schedule to the kingdom, I often kind of reap more time than I thought I had, right? So the way that we counter this practice of materialism is tithing our time and our money, blessing others, participating in community the way that we confront the the stronghold of individualism is caleb said it so well in this in that video like you're mentored and then you mentor and disciple someone else right it's choosing to be in a vehicle where you're being invested in and then you're giving that investment away to somebody else it's called join a group (laughs) right it's but but it's more than that right it, it's creating space in my life where somebody is investing in me and I'm investing in somebody else. And sometimes that doesn't happen in a group. Sometimes that happens really organically as we, as we'll see in a minute, have people over in our home and spend time together. It's, it's the ways that we create space for us to be invested in in our discipleship and, and, and to invest in others. And I'll tell you what, that's hard. Because then all of a sudden there's challenge and accountability and vulnerability, and wouldn't it just be easier if I wore my, not my COVID mask, my, fa- my pretend mask to church, and everybody thought I was happy, and I just went home, and checked the box, and we moved on, but really what we're saying in individualism is we go against the grain by that, by finding places and spaces in our lives where we are being invested in, and others are invested, and we are investing in others, and, and I just want to make myself as a living example, and say, I am being invested in. So I'm not like, Kyle hasn't reached the top of the mountain and and we're not engaging in trickle-down economics for like you to be invested. I'm seeking investment so that I can invest in others. See, and that never stops, that never stops, right? So there's materialism, individualism, tribalism. Here's how you go against the, the stronghold of tribalism. If you see someone of a generation that is different than you if you see someone whose skin color is different than you, if you see someone who, by the way they dress or talk, you get the sense that they're of a different socioeconomic class than you, you move toward that person and offer them welcome. Right? Instead of sticking with the people that you are like or that you feel comfortable with, you get proximate to that person that is not in your tribe. And you listen and you engage and you offer welcome Right? I mean, this was the early church to a T. The early church was this, like, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, socio class. Like, y'all, they were, like, violating each other's written and unwritten rules all of the time. Right? Which is why, like, the temptation was to just isolate like the Jews will hang out over here and the Gentiles will hang out over there and you've got like the Greek-speaking Gentiles and these Gentiles and these. No, what we do is we, we see difference and we move toward one another. And I just want to put that out there as that will be vital as we start to like unmask at feasts and get to know one another. And I will bring a squirt gun if I see you clumping. Okay? Um and so how do we tie all of these pieces together? Here's the subversive practice that contends against all three of these strongholds. It's hospitality. Remember not having people in your home? of you have been doing this, no judgment. Um, remember having people in your house? meeting together? Remember having casual conversation over a meal? Do you remember being in groups? Do you remember being in... Cra- it's practicing hospitality. House key. Have you even been coming to my church, right? Um, in her book, she says, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs but as god's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom the my home is my castle people are panicking the open they open doors they seek out the underprivileged they know that the gospel comes with a house key let god use your home apartment dorm room front yard community gymnasium or garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into, listen to it, family. Because that is the point, she says, building the church and living like a family, the family of God. Hospitality, it's sharing your home and your table with others. It's a key practice of the spiritual family of Jesus all way that long ago. And I preached a message on hospitality. If you're going to be around our church, you're going to hear me do these probably about once a year. I probably teach on hospitality more than I teach on money. Um, and so, uh, so I taught on hospitality, and two um, more seasoned believers came to me after church and said, well, you really whiffed it with that one with us old ladies. Good morning to you too. Yes, how? Tell me. Well, we old ladies, we don't like to have people in our house. It's too much work. We've been doing that for years. I said, okay, well then don't do work, just order a pizza and have them over. (gasps) We would never, like I told them to kill the animal on the table in front of, we would never do that. And so we're going back and forth and I almost got to the point in the conversation where I said, I am really sorry that you don't want to do what the Bible expressly commands you to do. But that's between you and Jesus, right? Do you know what 1 Peter says? Show hospitality to one another, without grumbling. Oh, okay, <laughs> right, right. Uh, in Romans 12, Paul ties meeting the tangible needs of the saints with practicing hospitality. And hospitality is so important for Paul that it is a qualification of church leadership. You can't lead in the churches that Paul starts if you're not having people over for dinner. And listen, hospitality ain't entertainment. Okay? This isn't, this isn't Chip and Joanna Gaines time, okay? Which is impossible if you, like me, have a toddler. It's just not happening, right? Here's what it's gonna look like if you come over to my house. Because when, when I practice hospitality, I'm inviting you into my home in my life. I'm not inviting you into my HGTV life, right? When I invite you into my home, here's what you're going to find. I will have not cleaned all that much before you got there. I mean, like, the toilet will be clean. You know what I'm saying? But like, I'm not gonna clean the floors till after you go. Why would I clean the floors before you come to dinner and make my floors messy, right? I mean, the kitchen's not gonna be gross. There might be some dust in some corners, because guess what, y'all? Like, I would rather have you over my house for dinner than have a clean house. That's just what I would prefer, right? Um, And so uh, you're probably going to step on a train or Hot Wheels, or a Lego, or some combination of all of those things, because our front room is the playroom at our house right now. But I am not inviting you into my perfection, I'm inviting you into my life. I'm not inviting you into my, into what I wish I was, I'm inviting you into who I am and what my family is like, and inviting you into that. And so some of that, some of us really struggle with that. Like, you might have been raised, like, of a generation that, like, you don't have people in your house unless it's perfect or whatever. And that's why, if, Mom, if you're watching, sorry. But when people would come over growing up, here's what we would do. This frantic, like, blah, people are coming over around the house thing. Which I, there was, there's me and my three younger brothers. Like, we lived in a disaster zone. You know what I'm saying? So here's what we would do. We would, like, put stuff in, like, brown paper bags and then shove it in the back, back room and close the door. You know what I'm saying? And some of you know, you've been to my house. You'll notice that back that back bedroom, that door's closed a lot. Okay? Because it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And we get critical mass and we bring it back down. You know, and then we... I'm not... A, and so for some of us, what we have to learn to do is like not freak out. And so here's what a friend of mine does. They leave a basket of folded laundry. Not like your undies, but like sheets and towels. Like, in, in the hallway. It's like such a stretch for them to have people in their house. I mean, the house is perfect, but they know they shouldn't be doing that. So they leave this basket just visible. And guess what? Praise the Lord, they're trying. You know what I mean? Like, they're striking out in that distance. And, and so, listen, we're going back to normal here. It's happening. Do you feel it? Do you know how I know we're back to normal? My car is out of gas all the time. Okay? Okay. It's never like that before uh, for like the last year. But listen, um, I want us to be a church marked by practicing hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? Because the most sacred moments of my life, the most sacred moments of my life have happened around tables and on back decks and in sunrooms and at meals. Because when we break bread together, every table becomes an altar, Every table becomes a space where God can move, where he shapes us into the spiritual family of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Heather, would you come and lead us? Heather led response time last service, so just, you know, watch out. It was fire,
4: One's different. (laughs) So, yes, we're going to go into response time. Um... And most of you already know this it's just a time where we can reflect so that we can hear what the lord might be saying to us and do it instead of hear and leave so um what got my attention this service and not last service was um that there's just so many different mindsets and strongholds that are up to family so there's multiple different things that the enemy can use and that he loves to use to get in the me. And so, my question for us: I about to resonate with you. Is there one that you, one or two, that you feel like gravitate toward? And so, Elaine's going to play for just about a minute, and we'll think and invite the Lord to speak to us, and then um, I'll pray. Father, thank you for the ways that you get our attention, the ways that you are willing to teach us. And I just pray that you would bring to mind things that are in us that are opposed to spiritual family so that we can recognize what to watch out for, so that we know which which of the three responses we need to make. It's just in the name of Jesus that we can ask for these things. Amen.
0: This is what the writer of Hebrews has to say. Let brotherly love continue, and in the same breath, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. May your, as you unlock your door today or open your garage to go home, may you realize that that key is a gift of the gospel, a gift of the good news for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the world. I love you. We'll see you later. Grace and peace.